Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Hi, I'm Meredith, alcoholic. And I'm Lo, I'm an alcoholic. All right. Um, thank you, ladies, for the opportunity to be of service. Um, and I'm especially grateful for Lo to partner with me. Um, as I've witnessed Lo in my journey with her, as her life has just exploded um, by living this design for living. And so she will be um, presenting with me and was kind enough to do this um, service work with me. Um, so the, the, um, the point of the conversation today is to look at the preface and the first four forewords. Um, and, you know, at first blush, it's like, oh, gosh, you know, why would we want to do that? <laughs> and um, really, the reason is, um, and the reason I take um, sponsees through this is, is, you know, we'll just get a little bit of basic history about what the big book is, you know, kind of how the big book was built to give us kind of a landing um, pad on that. And then, you know, in, interesting enough, um, the preface in the forwards gives some context about why the big book. And Lo and I'll give a little bit of, you know, a few of the details behind the context. And what's, you know, really remarkable is even with the preface and the forwards as short as they are and the context as it's written, we could spend hours on it. It's remarkable. Um, but we won't do that today. Um, we're just going to hit some of the highlights that we've collected um, through our conversations. And then also um, Dennis Bruner, who is who leads the inner group of St. Paul. Um, I've been in some book studies with him. And so some of the notes that I've taken from him on these on these um, chapters of preface and for, uh, forwards will be introduced. Um, so without further ado, I'll start with the preface, and then we're going to go back and forth between Lo and I and do kind of the building of um, forward one, forward two, and then just touch on forward three and forward four because they really kind of just build off of the first two forwards. Okay, so unless anybody has any questions or suggestions, that's how, how we'll roll it out. Okay. All right, so let's start with the preface. I'm going to start by reading just kind of the first paragraphs just to get us grounded in it. So the preface, and this is in the fourth edition. This is the fourth edition of the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. The first edition appeared in April 1939. And in the following 16 years, more than 300,000 copies went into circulation. The second edition then was published in 1955, and it reached a total of more than 1,150,500 copies. The third edition, which came off press in 1976, achieved a circulation of approximately 19,550,000 in all formats. Okay, so you kind of see the mushrooming of the big book there. Okay, the most important thing in this next paragraph is, is because this book has become the basic text 
for our society, it has helped such large numbers of alcoholic men and women to recovery. And there exists a strong sentiment against any radical changes being made. So in that first line of that paragraph, the basic text, this is the primary document for our society. And because it is the primary document, there are portions of it that have been remained unchanged regardless. So next sentence, therefore, the first portion of this volume describing the AA recovery program has been left largely untouched. That first portion is the first 164 pages. Okay, so there's been much debate on, you know, do we change the first 164 pages or not? Um, You'll see that as I talk through the prefaces, there are opportunities to change the big book to make it relatable, and they've built that in. Okay, so next paragraph. Second edition, they added the appendixes and the 12 traditions and the direction of getting in touch with AA. Um, The chief change was the personal stories. Okay, so there we go. There's the opportunity for stories. And we could spend a ton of time going back. What are the 12 traditions? How do we get in touch with AA? Um, Moving on to the next page, the third edition added the pioneers of, maintained part one, the pioneers of AA. That was left unchanged. And that is in the back. I put a little book thingy here. Yes. Okay, so the Pioneers of AA. This is 10 stories, Dr. Bob and nine men and women who tell their stories. And they were among the first members of AA. Who, and they remained sober until they passed naturally. So that was added and maintained. Um, The fourth edition added the 12 concepts for world service, which was introduced at the first um, international conference in Cleveland. And that again, we could dive in and take a look at the concepts that help support this organization for service. Um, And then lastly, the changes made over the years in the big book have had the same purpose and that is to represent the current membership of Alcoholics Anonymous more accurately and therefore therefore to reach more alcoholics. So again, if we have a drinking problem, we hope that we pause and reread some of these 42 personal stories because there again, we get to the relatability. Yes, that happened to me, or I felt like that. Yes, I believe this program can work for me. So let me learn more. So that's kind of the setup of the big book as we have it now in the fourth edition. The first edition, which is stored away in storage for me, is it's a it's hard copy, it's red, and the pages are really thick. So that's the preface. I'm going to turn it over to Lowe to just have a discussion on the first edition. Awesome. Thank you so much, Meredith. Um, I am very, very excited to be doing this. Um, I heard in a meeting once that everything we need to know about Alcoholics Anonymous is before Bill's story. Um, and excuse my voice, it's a little raspy. Um, so before I get started reading, I'm just going to give some history. 
Um, so in 1849, a Swedish doctor first coined the beginnings of the term alcoholism. Uh, Dr. Magnus Huss defined alcoholism as a chronic alcohol consumption. He names it alcoholism chronicus. Um, and then Hank Parkhurst, who wrote the chapter Two Employers, was an executive for Standard Oil who went on to his own and formed honor dealers, which in today's world would be a convenience store. Writing the big book was his idea. Um, and then Ruth Hawk typed the manuscript. Uh, she was the secretary and receptionist uh, for Hank's business. Uh, before the big book was finished and it was ready for publication, Jim Burwell, a confirmed atheist, had to challenge the group on the phrase, on the phrase he contributed, God as you understand him. So in order to stay on as a member, after that, he went to Boston to do some sales and had a spiritual experience that he never fully described to anyone, including Bill. It had to do with him reaching a point of complete despair and finding an answer in the Gideon Bible, which was kept in most hotel and motel rooms during this day. Um, the intention of the first two forwards, so for the first and second editions, uh, was to provide a context uh, within which the reader might pro process the information contained in the book, in the forwards, in the succeeding editions, and material generally focused on updating statistics. Um, so forward to the first edition, we of Alcoholics Anonymous, and that word we is so important, are more than 100 men and women who have been recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And this is the point of the book right here, to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. And I think recovered is such a, an important word uh, because we don't think we can ever recover, but we can recover uh, from this hopeless state of mind and body. Um, many do not comprehend that the alcoholic is a very sick person. And besides, we are sure that our very way of living has advantages for all. Um, and also back to the hopeless state of mind and body. Um, Dr. Silkworth, um, in the doctor's opinion, really expands on this idea. And it's the idea of the hopeless nature of alcoholism, the state of mind of an alcoholic, and the state of the body of an alcoholic. So the physical and the mind. <clears throat> right. It is important we remain anonymous because we are too few at present to handle the overwhelming number of personal appeals which may result from this publication. Being mostly business or professional folk, we could not carry all the occupations in such an event. We would like it understood that our alcoholic work is an avocation. An avocation means uh, hobby. All right. Um, <clears throat> let's see. So... All right, when writing or speaking publicly, publicly about alcoholism, we urge each of our fellowship to admit his personal name, designating himself instead, instead as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, um, so they don't say to describe oneself as, my name is Lo, I'm an alcoholic. 
they suggest complete elimination of any name. Um, how, like, for example, hello, I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous in order to get the audience to completely focus on the program in the speaker's message. Very earnestly, we ask the press also to observe this request for otherwise we shall be greatly handicapped. We are not an organization in conventional sense of the word. There are no dues or fees or whatsoever. The only requirement for membership is an honest desire to stop drinking. We are not allied with any particular faith, sector, denomination, nor do we oppose anyone. We simply wish to be helpful to those who are afflicted. Um, so I have some notes. So this was taken out in the rest of the text sometime in the 50s, uh, which I thought was interesting. Um, and this was the beginning of the formation of the preamble. And it wasn't until 1947 that it appeared in the final form of AA uh, in the grapevine and was sub subsequently copyrighted in the AA grapevine. <clears throat> yeah, that's all I have for the first edition. Thanks, Lowe. So I'll pick it up with the second edition. So as you see, there's kind of some nuts and bolts to this stuff. So um, what I'm going to do is set up the second edition, go through kind of some nine just um, contextual points, and then uh, walk through a little bit of history in the back. So in the forward of the second edition, figures given in this forward describe the fellowship as it was in 1955. Um, first sentence here is interesting. Since the original foreword to the book was written in 1939, a wholesale miracle was taken place. The meaning behind wholesale miracle means available to everyone, not as an indicator of being cheap, not wholesale meaning cheap, but available to everyone is the point of wholesale miracle. Um, so as we move down 16 years since the first printing, um, mushroomed into nearly 6,000 groups. Um, there are some 50 foreign countries that started to begin using the big book. And then if I move into the next page, it talks about what the big book was founded on. So though he could not accept the tenets of the Oxford group, he was convinced of the need for moral inventory, confession of personality defects, restitution to those harmed, helpfulness to others, and the necessity of belief in the dependence upon God. So Bill... <laughs> You know, exploring the Oxford group, um, he, hold on, let me get back to my notes here. Bill could not accept the tenets of the absolutes. The term absolute was repulsive to him. And he said for many al alcoholics. So, um, which was the mainstay of the Oxford group. You know, the, the four absolutes for the absolutes for the Oxford group were absolute honesty, absolute unselfishness, absolute love, and absolute purity. So Bill's rationale was is that alcoholics could never accept anything 
that was absolute. So these are suggestions. The 12 steps are built on the absolutes, but they're a, they're a suggested way of living. Um, and in, in addition, we call ourselves, we, we do not call ourselves an organization um, because we don't acquire or purchase or grow through an organizational way. So he wanted to make it much less restrictive in, in terms of some of the language there. So I wanted to spend a little bit of time on that. Okay. So literally the, the steps were kind of basic were borrowed or, or built on those absolutes. Okay. Um, let's see the term way of living. So we're going to move down into bear with me a moment. Next paragraph, last couple of sentences, he suddenly realized that in order to save himself, he must carry the message to another alcoholic. This is Bill. The alcoholic turned out to be the African physician, which we all know that story. Um, so he's making, they're making the point here that this isn't just to save ourselves. Um, we, we do that in moving on um, with our life. But in, required in moving on with our life, we must carry the message to other people. And that next person was Dr. Bob, as we know. Um, moving on to the next paragraph, um, the physician, Dr. Bob, had repeatedly tried spiritual means to resolve his alcoholic dilemma, but it had failed. So he and his wife were members of the Oxford group, coincidentally. Um, Dr. Bob had been a member of the Oxford group for some time. And he'd been hearing and doing many of the same things that Bill had been, do been doing with the Oxford group in New York, but he couldn't make the connection of, of making it a design for living and working with others, which is what the big book and the uh, 12 steps have given him. Um, moving on. So with Dr. Bob and Bill, <laughs> two lines from the bottom of that page, this seemed to prove that one alcoholic could affect another as no alcoholic could, as no non-alcoholic could. It also indicated that strenuous work with one alcoholic with another was vital to permanent recovery. So this is what we do. You know, we work strenuously with one alcoholic to another alcoholic as an avocation. We don't get paid to do this. We still have lives. Okay. Um, then moving on, so then they went to work almost frantically um, and with another alcoholic, and this became Bill D, number three. So Bill Dotson was AA number three. Bill and Bob visited him on June 28th, 1935 at the hospital. He left the hospital sober man on July 4th. He was attorney, and he became the first delegate to the Ohio um, International Conference. He died a couple of years after the Conference of Natural Causes, but he died sober. Um, moving on. Next paragraph. So we talk about, then the small group was built in New York in 1937. Um, and this was built by Dr. Clarence, or excuse me, Clarence Snyder, 
um, excuse me, I'm going to say the second group promptly took shape in New York. And then the third one, excuse me, in Cleveland. And this was by Clarence Snyder. And Clarence um, kind of built this group in Cleveland. Um, and he was the first to really use the big book in meetings. Um, and he did this because Dr. Bob was unwilling to break from the Oxford group in Akron. So he's like, I'm going to go start this group in Cleveland and we're going to use the big book. Um, so he kind of got the, the, the meetings implemented with using the big book. Okay, so then moving on to my last point that gives some historical context here is at the last part of that paragraph. In 1937, the number of members have sustained substantial sobriety time had excuse me, by the late 1937, the number of members having substantial sobriety time behind them was significant to convince the membership that a new light had entered the dark world of the alcoholic. So the, the members at that time wrote the big book, their length of sobriety was as long as three years sober, which is Bill Wilson. Um, many who contributed to this book only had a few months of sobriety. Okay, so that's the big book kind of leading up to it, implemented into meetings, setting up a meetings, et cetera. And then just moving on, we're going to go into um, these hundred men and women um, became this society um, using the book, you know, moving on to the next page, they start, you know, getting the word out there. Um, and all of a sudden they're getting picked up by a couple of things like, uh, Fulton Osler, the editor of the Liberty printed a piece at the time called Alcoholics Anonymous, Alcoholics and God. And all of a sudden that publicity rushed 800 frantic inquiries into new, the New York office. <clears throat> um, then, um, Jack Al, excuse me. John D. Rockefeller, so Bill got in contact with John D. Rockefeller, and John D. Rockefeller asked Bill to give a presentation at one of his organizational meetings, and with the hope that Bill was like, well, John D. Rockefeller can inf infuse a bunch of money into the organization. So Bill, you know, Bill had kind of pitched this idea, and upon reflection, John's like, no, you will destroy yourselves. If you ask for donations, I'm going to let you be self-supporting. Um, and so then, you know, an article was also written in uh, the Saturday Evening Post. Um, so more and more awareness of the big book and our society became aware to the public. Okay. And Barb, and I know Barb has probably a ton of experience in the historical concept there. Others in our groups do too. I mean, we could spend a ton of time just learning about the history there, but we're not going to do that today, just a touch point on that. So what the what AA realized is that we're developing this society, we're interacting with each other. So we need to, as the next page suggests in the first paragraph, is we need to hang together or die separately. How do we do that? So the next paragraph describes how you know they put together some fundamental traditions that we follow. Um, and so in the next paragraph, it kind of lists, you know, a number of those traditions. Um, then we can look up those traditions, of course, on page 576 in the big book. 
Um, and again, like, as I said, um, these traditions um, and the concepts were introduced in 1950 at the International Conference held in Cleveland. Okay, so moving on, you know, it talks about the, um, the availability of AA, people coming into AA, um, many who are totally um, surrendering, um, getting sober and remaining sober, many going away, but after relapses coming back, um, a third of us who come back um, still remain sober. Um, and I know when I was at Hazelden, they said, you know, the person to your right, the person to your left probably isn't going to make it. It's dependent on you and God to make it. So there's your third. Um, and at this time, towards the end of that page, more than 15% of AA were women. This is in 1955. We know that that has changed substantially, thank God. Um, and then on that same page, just above that, again, Alcoholics Anonymous is not a religious organization. Neither does AA take any particular medical point of view. Though we cooperate widely with the means of medicine as well as men and religion. So I know Lo and I have conversations with our sponsees. You know, we are here uh, to help guide you through the steps of the big book, learn the tools, but there's a cornerstone in place for medical if you need it. There's a cornerstone in place for a religious person if, if you need it or like it. Um, not your mother, not your psychiatrist, not your best friend. Um, however, the purpose of the big book is to give you the tools so that you can have a spiritual experience so that you can be in alignment with your source, your space of grace, your truth, and be available to help other women learn the same thing that we are, which then ultimately helps keep us sober. So that's the forward to the second edition. I'll pass it over to Lo again for the third. Awesome. Thank you so much for the info, Meredith. All right, so forward to the third edition. So um, the third edition, this was in 1976. In February of 1976, the meeting of the Trustees Literature Committee um, found, um, they stated that uh, the big book third edition will go to the printer soon. Um, no changes have been made from page XXII through page 312. Uh, but in parts two and three, seven stories have been deleted and 13 new stories have been added. And by March 1976, um, the edition went to print and um, the membership of AA was more than a million people with almost 28,000 groups uh, meeting in over 90 countries. And this really just speaks to the fact of, you know, AA is spreading the word and it's helping people. Um, so in the U.S. and Canada, the, the word of AA is really getting out there, and um, the membership um, of women is really growing as well. Um, also, uh, what's really interesting is 7% of AA's um, membership um, is less than the age of 30, uh, many of them in their teens. Um, so the basic principles of AA program um, it appears the principles and traditions are really helping um, people get their life back, get their family back, 
um, and recovering from this hopeless state of mind and body. Um, and so um, the 12 steps that summarize the program may be called um, Los Dos Pasos and in one country, Les Dos Etapas. Um, I always have fun saying those phrases, um, but it just uh, it speaks to the fact that it can be different everywhere, but it's really the same message and meaning. Um, and it really brings people together. And the word we is really the foundation of, of our program. Um, so to the last paragraph of, of this foreword, it's really our core. Um, so my experience, strength, and hope helps other people. So in spite of great increase in the size of the span of the fellowship, the core um, and the story and the meaning remains the same. Um, so yeah, it just um, speaks to the strength of AA. And um, I'll throw it to Meredith. Great. Thanks, Lo. And as you can see, these the third and fourth edition are more just statistical, factual, um, building off the context of the first two forwards. So moving to fourth edition. Fourth edition of Alcoholics Anonymous came off the press in November 2001. At that time, it was estimated about 2 million um, people were involved and nearly 100, 100,800 groups, I was stumble over that, meeting groups um, were available in over 150 countries around the world. Um, they, it was also available in approximately 43 languages, which Lowe had just described how fun it is to hear language of AA, which is the language of the heart, regardless of, um, regardless of how it's spoken. Okay, in the next paragraph, this is, this is one of the beautiful points I, you know, I find. I love I love the tapestry of, of the women that I am now acquainted with and have deep relationships with. When the phrase, we are people who normally would not mix, was written in 1939. At that point, it referred to a fellowship composed largely of men and a few women with quite similar social, ethnic, and economic backgrounds. That is not necessarily what we are today. Um, so the mushrooming of the inclusive nature of AA, because it can touch, of course, anyone. It's non-discriminatory. So on the next page, it really talks about how, you know, AA is mushroomed. And then not only um, are we witness to meetings in person and in, 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 um, interacting with sponsees in person or through the mail or by phone, but it also talked about, you know, here we are, we're meeting online and modem to modem or face-to-face, -face, AAs speak the language of the heart in all of its power and simplicity. So I'll wrap it up with the fact that AA gives us a language of the heart. The big book gives us a textbook to describe that language. And, uh, and instructions how to live or design for living to use that language. So the point of Lowe's in my conversation today was really to give you a little bit of historical concept in terms of how and why the big book was built and some of the, you know, some of the details behind it without going into a ton of the, 
the avenues that could still be explored. So I hope you found our conversation informative, useful, and brings us back to the recall that this is a design for living based on a language of love. And, and we as a group can give each other hope that this is possible. I'll pass. First of all, thank you for the service opportunity, um, both the group and Amanda specifically. Um, and so uh, we decided that to start right on what I consider the title page. So not the first page that says Alcoholics Anonymous and the rest is blank, but the next page. And it says, you know, the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. And again, I can only say how I was taken through. And what I have written is, if consistent in actions of AA, then we can be recovered. And so I think that's important because, you know, recovered comes in, you know, several times and um, in terms of um, the writing. And then the next page, which is not the page that's on the back of that, that, you know, talks about all the copyright stuff, but the page that says contents. And what I have written is seek. And, and again, this all came from my sponsors. There's a sequence and purpose to the book. It's not like a self-help book. It's, it delineates three. It has a threefold objective. One, to identify the problem. And this is critical. I have, so I have in parentheses critical. Two, is the solution and three is the practical program to find solution which is basically our experience strength and hope and then under the contents um you know we have the four words that you know amanda and i are going to do today but then you know the doctor's opinion bill's story there is a solution and more about alcoholism that actually is all about the first step the problem and then we agnostics is the second step. And I have written in may have to read and reread. And that's because we, we all have a fair amount of prejudice around religion and, and spiritual stuff and whatever. And so one is prejudice, why we have to read and reread it. And two is we get to define higher power for self. So again, that takes a fair amount of sort of, you know, uh, you know, work, you know, um, meditation, prayer, whatever, just to kind of really, I, you know, my higher power is going to look like everybody else's higher power, you know, it's going to look different. And so, um, and so that's, to me, one of the most beautiful, spacious parts of the program. Chapter five, how it works actually is the third and fourth step into action is five to 11. So again, I will note that there's four chapters that are just about the first step. And there's one chapter that takes us through five and 11, five to 11. So that's just interesting to me. Seven working with others is about the 12th step. And then from eight, eight, nine, 10 and 11 is how to practice these principles in all our affairs. And then at the bottom, you know, um, I just have one note, and this is the only story we're going to really talk, you know, kind of June, you know, Dr. Bob's nightmare, June 1035 is the anniversary of AA because that's when, you know, one alcoholic talked to another. It wasn't, you know, our, our, it didn't start when Bill got sober. It started with when Bob, you know, we had that conversation with Bob. So I'm going to keep going, Amanda, and I'm going to do the uh, preface um, and what I, and then Amanda's going to jump in. So on the preface page, what I have written is the first 164 pages are the program of recovery. 
And then the stories are about identification. So like for me, when I started, I didn't have a sponsor. So I read those stories and I knew that I belonged, Um, but it took me a while to get a sponsor. So, you know, there it is. But the other thing I have written is that a textbook starts at a simple level and progressively becomes more difficult. So, you know, for all of us, I mean, there's a lot of high level concepts in here. Um, but the fact that it gets more difficult is normal. You know, it, it probably feels more difficult. And so just to acknowledge that right at the beginning, when I go through this book with my sponsees, and then I have one other note, which is we must begin at the beginning. In other words, the preface, because there's important information here. So we don't just jump in at, you know, the doctor's opinion. And so here we go. This is the fourth edition of the book, Alcoholics Anonymous. The first edition appeared in April 39. In the following 16 years, more than 300,000 copies went into circulation. The second edition published in 55, reached a total of more than 1,150,500 copies. The third edition, which came off the press in 76, achieved a circulation of approximately 19,550,000 in all formats. Because this book has, and I have underlined, become the basic text, and I have circled basic text. So again, it tells us that for our society and has helped such large number of alcoholic men and women to recover, there exists strong sentiment against any radical change being made in it. Therefore, the first portion of the volume describing the AA recovery program has been left largely untouched in the course of revisions made for the second, third, and fourth editions. The section called The Doctor's Opinion has been kept intact, just as it was originally written in 39 by the late Dr. William D. Silkworth, our society's great medical benefactor. The second edition added the appendices, the 12 traditions, and the directions for getting in touch with AA, But the chief change was in the section of personal stories, which was expanded to reflect the fellowship's growth. Bill's story, Dr. Bob's nightmare, and one other personal history from the first edition were retained intact. Three were edited, and one was one of these was retitled. Two new versions of two stories were written and new with new titles. Thirty completely new stories were added, and the story section was divided into three parts under the same heading that are used now. In the third edition, part one, Pioneers of AA, was left unchanged. Nine of the stories in part two, they stopped in time, were carried over from the second edition. Eight new stories were added. In part three, they lost nearly all. Eight stories were retained and five ones were added. The fourth edition includes the 12 concepts for world service and revises the three sections of personal stories as follows. One new story has been added to part one. Two that originally appeared in part three have been repositioned there. Six stories have been deleted. Six of the stories in part two have been carried over. Eleven new ones have been added and eleven taken out. Part three now includes 12 new stories. Eight were removed in addition to the two that were transferred to part one. So again, it's like really like busy and who cares But the fact is, our history is important. And two, there's transparency, which in today's world, it's kind of interesting because anybody's like, oh, well, this is what happened. How do you know that? It's written right in the book, you know, and they kept track of it because there was a fair amount of like going back and forth. And I'm, you know, I'm sure there's people, I think Barb's pretty good on the on the archives. I know a little bit. Um, I've done, you know, one big book study a long time ago. But the fact is, it's all here in black and white. And this is our history. All changes made over the years in the big book, parentheses, AA members fond nickname for this volume, and parentheses, have had the same purpose, to represent the current membership of Alcoholics Anonymous more accurately and thereby to reach more alcoholics. If you have a drinking problem, we hope that you may pause in reading one of the 42 personal stories and think, yes, that happened to me. Or more important, yes, I felt like that. Or most important, 
yes, I believe this program can work for me too. And the last of my notes for this, and then Amanda's going to take over, is one, there's a couple of, you know, the principle of identification as an alcoholic, which is two parts, the powerlessness over the alcohol and the obsession of the mind. We, we, you know, if we can't relate to that, we're going to have a problem. So it's all about kind of really shoring up that principle of identification. The person has to make the decision. And then the second part is singleness of purpose, which is alcoholism. So it's not exclusive, but again, back to the identification. So if someone's struggling with alcohol and they, let's say they hear a speaker on the podium or someone just sharing their, you know, their story or sharing their, you know, whatever they share in that moment, all of a sudden they can get it. They can see the solution. And so that's so powerful and I'll pass. Thank you, Sarah. Um, and I want to say thank you also for the opportunity to um, uh, do service this morning. Um, this has also been an opportunity to um, see how I show up as an alcoholic and um, how I wanted to control every single part of <laughs> uh, delivering this presentation and knowing everything about the big book, which is completely ridiculous because it's impossible and I'm very early in recovery. Um, so I'm practicing at the moment uh, as well as I've done in preparing for, uh, for this uh, in letting it go and uh, um, acknowledging that a big part of this experience is just in uh, learning myself um, about this information. So as we move forward into the first edition, um, uh, and I'll I'll go through and um, touch on the notes that that I have here. Um, I'll I'll read. Um, this is the forward as it appeared in the first printing of the first edition in 1939. Uh, right away, the the large W in We of Alcoholics Anonymous. I've got a note that says the first 100. I'm just calling out uh, those first important uh, individuals. Um, uh, we, we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered, um, I have that highlighted, from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. I've got, I have mind and body circled. Um, um, and body, I have noted a physical allergy. Uh, and this next sentence is underlined. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. Um, something that Sarah had mentioned to me as we were preparing before um, was in thinking about how carefully these words were chosen and um, really what the meanings of, of a lot of these words are, um, specifically with precisely uh, what that means, what the definition of that means, uh, clearly expressed or delineated um, used as a reply to assert emphatic agreement with, um, and then um, kind of boiling that down or simplifying that uh, down to us for our program being action, limits, and repetition. Um, for, uh, so I'll continue on. For them, we hope these pages will prove so convincing that no further authentication will be necessary. 
We think that this account of our experiences will help, help everyone to better understand the alcoholic. Many do not comprehend that the alcoholic is a very sick person. Here I've noted disease of mind, body, and spirit. And besides, we are sure that our way of living has its advantages for all. After this sentence, I have a note uh, that says, this isn't, this isn't a reference to not drinking, but to living life. Um, that it, uh, it speaks to what we talk about so often about it not being a drinking problem, that it's a thinking problem. Um, and it touches all aspects of our, of our lives. Um, it is important that we remain anonymous because we are too few at present to handle the overwhelming number of personal appeals, which may result from this publication. Being mostly business or professional folk, we could not well carry out our occupations in such an event. We would like it understood that our alcoholic work is an advocation, meaning part-time. When writing or speaking publicly about alcoholism, we urge each of our fellowship to omit his personal name, designating himself instead as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Very earnestly, we ask that the press also, also to observe this request, for otherwise we shall be greatly handicapped. We are not an organization in the conventional sense of the word. There are no fees or dues whatsoever. I have that circled. Um, that's important. Um, very important. Uh, we're not getting paid for what we do. We talk about that a lot, about uh, how much that in would, would impact, uh, how much that impacts us uh, in terms of would we even show up if, if the person on the other end, if our sponsor was um, receiving payment for what they were doing, um, and if we as a sponsor were receiving payment. Um, uh, the only requirement for membership is an honest desire to stop drinking. We are not allied with any particular faith, sect, or denomination, nor do we oppose anyone. We simply wish to be helpful to those who are afflicted. Um, I have a note in my margin here that this is some foreshadowing um, indicating uh, the traditions. We shall be interested to hear from those who are getting results from this book, particularly from those who have commenced work with other alcoholics. We should like to be helpful in such cases. I have a note on particularly also. Um, uh, it, it's a note that I had captured um, in another meeting somewhere, um, but the definition partic uh, particularly is used to single out a subject to which a statement is especially applicable. Um, I have a note also that references page 14. It, it just is calling out that, um, that we're working, uh, the importance of working working with other alcoholics. Um, uh, and the last sentence, inquiry by scientific, medical, and religious societies will be welcomed. Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, and Sarah, can I pass back to you for the... Absolutely. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, so um, one of the things Amanda and I had talked about in terms of... Um, you know, back to the many do not comprehend the alcohol is a very alcoholics, a very sick person and inquiry by scientific, medical and religious societies. 
there's something called CPC, which I don't think we hear, you know, I think our, our service, um, depending on the meeting you go to, um, but for some people, um, for some groups, you know, that stands for cooperation with the professional community. So it's basically a public information and they focus on, you know, and I know this cause I used to be in the medical world. And so really giving them, um, make, you know, kind of helping to educate them on the alcohol, you know, the AA sort of slant. And unfortunately, and this gets talked about a fair amount, you know, I think we just talked about it, you know, on Wednesday, but based on the tradition is that, you know, AA certainly is not falling by the wayside, but in terms of people being really structured, you know, a treatment being super AA, like aftercare can be, you know, your halfway house, all of that gets really specifically, you know, recovery and 12-step focus, but there's fewer and fewer, um, you know, it's become a profit center and it really, um, there's a lot of different messages out there. And so for me, I'm not going to look at that. You know, what the program has taught me is to mind my own business. So I can't change that. But what I can do is really make sure that I hew to the big book and the 12 and 12 and to what my sponsors have taught me and what I've learned in 12 step, you know, AA meetings. So, you know, both big book and 12 and 12. So I'm really grateful for that. Forward to the second edition. Figures given in this forward describe the fellowship as it was in 1955. Since the original forward to this book has written was written in 1939, a wholesale miracle has taken place. And miracle is defined as something we don't have the capacity to understand. Our earliest printing voiced the hope that every alcoholic who journeys will find the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous at its destination. Already continues the early text, twos and threes and fives of us have sprung up in other communities. 16 years have elapsed between our first printing of this book and the presentation in 55 of our second edition. In that brief space, Alcoholics Anonymous has mushroomed into nearly 6,000 groups whose membership is far above 150,000 recovered. There's recovered again. That's the third time. Alcoholics. Groups are to be found in each of the United States and all the provinces of Canada. In AA, AA has flourishing communities in the British Isles, the Scandinavian countries, South Africa, South America, Mexico, Alaska, Australia, and Hawaii. And, and again, what was pointed out to me is Alaska and Hawaii are... are you know, they're not in the U.S. at this point. So they're, that's why they're mentioned separately. So again, you know, great reminders of history. All told, promising beginnings have been made in some 50 foreign countries and U.S. possessions. Some are just now taking shape in Asia. Many of our friends encourage us by saying that this is but a beginning, only the augury of a much larger future ahead. And of course, augury is when you use an auger to dig a hole, right? So the augury is actually the tip of the auger. So you know, this book is complex in terms of its language and a lot of, you know, what big book studies are about is kind of getting these definitions down because, you know, we go along and it's like, well, not really sure what that means. So, you know, we can look it up. That's part of the action, but we can also talk about it. I have this next four um, lines bracketed. The spark that was to flare into the first AA group was struck at Akron, Ohio in June 35 during a talk between a New York stockbroker and an Akron physician. So, of course, that's Bill and Bob. A started with Bob's sobriety, and it boils down one alcoholic talking to another. And Bob is noted to have said, quote, that's the first time someone understood me. I mean, can, it's so powerful. 
Six months earlier, the broker had been relieved of his drink obsession by a sudden spiritual experience following a meeting with an alcoholic friend who had been in contact with the Oxford groups of the day of that day. And of course, that's Ebby Thatcher. He was all he had also been greatly helped by the late William D. Silkworth, a New York specialist in alcoholism, who is now accounted no less than a medical saint by AA members and whose story of the early days of our society appears in the next pages. So I have this sentence underlined from this doctor, the broker had learned the grave nature of alcoholism. So Dr. Silkworth understood the problem, which was the obsession of the mind and the allergy of the body. Back to the text, though he could not accept all the tenets of the Oxford group. So tenets being sort of the principles he was convinced of the need of more for moral inventory, confession of personality defects, restitution to those harmed, helpfulness to others, and the necessity of belief in and dependence upon God. And the six tenets of the Oxford group are actually on page 263. You know, when I have, you know, my sponsees, I have them look it up and figure out what is not on there. And the one that's not on there is ego deflation. So it's really interesting that Bill could not accept ego deflation. I it's a core principle, right? I mean, that's what I couldn't accept. Prior to his journey to Akron, the broker had worked hard with many alcoholics on the theory that only an alcoholic could alco help an alcoholic. And I have underlined, but he succeeded only in keeping sober himself. And so my sidebar note is, you know, Bill's wife, Lois, told him when he got frustrated with all these early failures, quote, they're not getting it but you're staying sober. So that is the essence of service and specifically sponsorship. It's for us. It's not for the other person, you know, and that again will help us keep our ego in check. The broker had gone to Akron on a business venture, which had collapsed, leaving him greatly in fear that he might start drinking again. He suddenly realized that in order to save himself, he must carry his message to another alcoholic that alcoholic turned out to be the Akron physician. And of course, that was in the lobby of the Mayflower Hotel. This physician had repeatedly tried spiritual means to resolve his alcoholic dilemma, but had failed. And I have these next, next three lines bracketed. But when the broker gave him Dr. Silver's description of alcoholic and its hopelessness, the physician began to pursue the spiritual remedy I have that underlined, spiritual remedy for his malady with a willingness he had never before been able to muster. So that's really interesting because Bob was actually a very religious person. You know, he the, the, the uh, Oxford group was religious and they had kind of a sidebar for the alcoholics who were their problematic group. And, they, and the sidebar around that is, in, you know, Silkworth identified the problem. Dr. Jung identified the solution, which is on page 27 of the big book, the vital spiritual experience. But Bob didn't know the problem. So he got he knew the solution. He didn't know the problem. Bill understood the problem and he had his white light experience. So he kind of got that. But it's just, you know, I always say, you know, like a Reese's peanut butter cop, you know, they have that ad where the two trucks crash together, you know, and chocolate peanut butter found themselves. But for us, it really was the two doctors that came at things from a super different viewpoint and the two men, Bill and Bob, that came at it from a different viewpoint. He sobered never to drink again up to the moment of his death in 1950. This seemed to prove, and I have written one, underlined that one alcoholic could 
affect another as no non-alcoholic could. And I've continued to underline. And two, it also indicated that strenuous, and I have the word strenuous circled, strenuous work. One alcoholic with another was circle vital to permanent recovery. So what I have written in is it's good to be a little inconvenienced by sponsorship. Then the compass is in the right zone. It really does feel strenuous. Anybody who's worked with sponsees or actually, you know, stepped up with a sponsor, there's times it feels like I'm out there digging a ditch in hard, rocky soil, you know, like, and that's, you know, with all respect to the process, it feels really hard. But it's supposed to be hard, you know, I mean, not so not just hard for hard sake, but because the ego does not want to surrender. My ego still doesn't want to surrender. And I got a few 24 hours. And the last thing I'll say about that little section on the bottom of XVI, this is an incredibly important one of the core concepts of the program for me is the problem supports the solution. So if you look at life, it's like nobody wants to really look at the problem that feels so overwhelming. But the fact that we have four chapters, that's about the problem. We have to be so clear about the problem because then the solution makes sense. Hence, the two men set to work almost frantically upon alcoholics arriving in the ward of the Akron City Hospital. Their first case underlined a desperate one, and I have written in good. That's the gift of desperation. If I'm not desperate, I'm not going to get over some humps. That's the bottom. You know, we stop digging our hole when we stop digging. I can't keep going with this. You know, I'm desperate for something different. Recovered immediately and became A number three. He never had another drink. And of course, that's the man on the bed. And that's Bill Dodson. This work at Akron continued through the summer of 35. There were many failures, but there was an occasional hardening success. When the broker returned to New York in the fall of 35, the first AA group had actually been formed, though no one realized it at the time. A second small group promptly took shape at New York to be followed in 37 with the start of a third at Cleveland. Besides these, there were scattered alcoholics who had picked up the basic ideas in Akron or New York who were trying to form groups in other cities. By late 37, the number of members having underlined substantial sobriety and written in a couple of years. Back then, that was substantial sobriety. Behind, time behind them was sufficient to convince the membership that a new light had entered the dark world of the alcoholic. It was now time the struggling group sought to place their message, circle, and unique experience. This is the gift of the alcoholic, is our experience, strength, and hope. Before the world, this determination bore fruit in the spring of 39 by the publication of this volume. The membership had then reached about 100 men and women. The fledging society, which had been nameless, now began to be called Underline Alcoholics Anonymous. From the title of its own book, the flying blind period ended and AA entered a new phase of its pioneering time. So where's that? they had actually been called the Drunk Squad in the Oxford group, and they had a couple of other first titles that they wanted, one of which was Way Out. And um, but there was already 12 of those uh, books in that year that had been titled that. And so they were superstitious and didn't want number 13. And they were it was really essential that they be successful because they were being self-published and they didn't have any money. So, you know, our fellowship, Alcoholics Anonymous, where alcoholics is named after the book. With the appearance of the new book, a great deal began to happen. Dr. 
Harry Emerson Fosdick, the noted clergyman, reviewed it with approval in the fall of 39. Fulton Ursler, then editor of Liberty, which I think was the biggest magazine in the country, printed a piece in his magazine called Alcoholics and God. This brought a rush of 800 frantic inquiries into the little New York office, which meanwhile had been established. Each inquiry was painstakingly answered. Pamphlets and books were sent out. Businessmen traveling out of existing groups were referred to these prospective newcomers. New groups started up, and it was found to the astonishment of everyone that AA's underlying message could be transmitted in the mail as well by word of mouth. By the end of 39, it was estimated 800 alcoholics were on their way to recovery. So the message is underlined because our literature is really important. You know, they spent a lot of time before they started publishing it because they had to be super careful about the message. In the spring of 1940, John D. Rockefeller Jr. gave a dinner for many of his friends to which he invited A members to tell their stories. News of this got on the world wires and reported again, and many people went to bookstores to get the book Alcoholics Anonymous. So, you know, again, our history is that, you know, wow, you don't get a bigger name and a more, you know, a philanthropist giving money away, John D. Rockefeller. They were kind of hoping that, you know, they get a little money from him. And I think the God thing was that he knew somewhere in his heart, he knew that these, you know, this fledging society, these bunch of drunks that couldn't, you know, were not particular, you know, they were, you know, just starting to get kind of their legs underneath them. He did not give money, and that set the stage for the seventh tradition. So it was kind of ironic because it might have been a nice little start. But again, you have to look at it as being a God thing. By March 41, the membership had shot up to 2,000. Then Jack Alexander wrote a feature article in the Saturday Evening Post, which is probably the second biggest magazine, and placed such an underlying compelling picture of AA before the general public that alcoholics in need of help really deluged us, overwhelmed us. By the close of 41, AA numbered 8,000, so up from 800, 10 times as many. The mushrooming process was in full swing. AA had become a national institution. And the sidebar for that is that um, when Alexander wrote that piece, he wasn't trying to give a plug to AA. He actually started it as an undercover operation because he's like, you know, he's a reporter, so they're always a little jaded. He's like, really? I feel like these guys could be like a little fucking, you know, like, sorry for my French, a little um, scamorama. I, I don't really trust this. And so he was undercover, as I said, and wanted to expose AA. It felt that they were had fraud and dishonesty going on. And then after he was done, he was convinced that it was super legitimate and this in, you know, remarkable new, you know, sky's the limit possibilities of helping alcoholics. And so he wrote this really sort of rave review on it. But that's not how it started. And again, this is our history. Our society then entered, I have underlined, a fearsome and exciting adolescent period. And I have, you know, written in, same as early drunks. Anybody that, you know, early sobriety is so painful. I mean, there's lots of books written around it. It's high highs and low lows. And it just has, you know, and then there's slightly less highs and slightly less lows. And finally, it goes into sort of the normal kind of biorhythmic, you know, sine curve. But the point is that early recovery is super hard. So it's fearsome, it's exciting, but it's also fearsome. The test that it faced was this. Could these large number of erstwhile 
which is, you know, um, and erratic. So uh, erstwhile is previously and erratic, you know, is erratic. I think everyone knows that's all over the place. And so the question is, can we show up differently? And initially, we're probably not going to be able to. Taking, Taking the alcohol away is taking away our solution. So we're fully in this emotional roller coaster and trying to like catch up with our life that we friggin' you know, annihilated and it's, it's tough. Successfully meet and work together. Would there be quarrels over membership, leadership, and money? Would there be strivings for power and prestige? Of course it's, we're egocentric. And I have written on the top of that page that then we can see it, we can do it. But ego is just not worth defending. And that's a really important principle for me. You know, I get ego going all the time. And um, so I have written at the bottom of XVIII, the last page, is at three to six years, it's really easy to start judging, competing, and arguing. And it's at that point that Bill actually started to think about it. He didn't start writing it, but maybe he'd, you know, he's writing some notes, whatever, that he started working on the 12 and 12. So a good, so the point being that how can we, you know, recommit ourselves to the program, do, be of more of service, whatever, but it, it actually is a very vulnerable period. Um, so back to the XIX, would there be schisms, which are splits, uh, which would, and there it is, split us AA apart, soon AA was beset by these very problems on every side and in every group. Um, but out of this frightening and at first disrupting experience, the conviction grew that AA had to hang together or die separately. We had to underline unify our fellowship and I have circled unify or pass off the scene. So this is what, you know, before starting writing that, you know, this is where the traditions come from. As we discovered the principles, so I have underlined principles and that's the 12 steps by which the underlying individual so it's spelling that out the the principles for the individual are the 12 steps alcoholic could live so we had to evolve principles by which the underlying aa groups and AA as a whole so the groups are the 12 traditions and AA as a whole is world service could survive and function effectively so this whole paragraph is going to be about the the um the traditions. It was thought that no alcoholic man or woman could be excluded from our society. So that's the third tradition. Our leaders, and I'm not going to go over all of them, but you'll you'll figure it out. That our leaders might serve but never govern. That each group was to be autonomous. There was to be no professional class of therapy. There were to be no dues or fees. Our expenses were to be met by our own voluntary contributions. There's the seventh step. Uh, I mean, tradition. There was to be the least possible organization, even in our service centers. Our public relations were to be based upon attraction rather than promotion. It was decided that all members ought to be anonymous at the level of press, radio, TV, and film. And in no circumstances should we give endorsements, make alliances, or enter public controversy. And that sounds really good. But if you read into um, the, you know, you get into the traditions and read the world, so like we messed all of this stuff up early days. You know, like. We learn from our mistakes. And again, for me, that's really spacious in terms of, yeah, how else am I going to learn except by my mistakes? You know, and is it at some point a mistake or can it become a lesson? You know, and so I think like, you know, my self-talk as an alcoholic is, oh, you screwed up again. And uh, and if I feel that way, believe you me, I'm going to get somebody else feeling that way. So that's just not particularly productive in my program. 
this was the substance of A's 12 traditions, which are stated in full on page 561 of this book. Although none of these principles had the force of underlying rules or laws, they had become so widely accepted in 1950, they were confirmed by our first international conference held at Cleveland. Today, the remarkable, again, unity of AA is one of the greatest assets that our society has. So, you know, there's lots of suggestions in the book, like opening with the preamble. But at the end of the day, what really makes this book work, and they're actually going to state that, is, is for the message to have depth and weight, right? Like, you know, pithy, you know, you know, most alcoholics, people talk to us about kind of like why it wasn't working or how we were hurting them or all that stuff. But it's only the truth of an alcoholic. And, you know, I believe that, you know, without getting, you know, we can call it God, deity, creator, whatever, higher power. But this book to me is so incredibly powerful. Um, and so, you know, so back to the goals, you know, the problem of forming the solution. The goal is to help sick and suffering alcoholics um, you know, get the message and, and the traditions are important because the, we have to have a primary way to stay together, you know, which is the unity. So without our meetings, where, who, where would we be? You know, so yeah, we have to get our own stuff together, but we also, you know, you get a bunch, you know, get all these disparate alcoholics and all these groups that have different ideas of how they come together, you know, women, men, mixed, gay, this, that, I don't know, professional, you know, they have there's a lot of different kinds of meeting, but the core has to be that we're trying to get sober. Um, so while the internal difficulties of our adolescent period were being ironed out, public acceptance of AA grew by, grew by leaps and bounds. For this were two principal reasons. One, underline the large numbers of recoveries and reunited homes. So there's the proof. These made their impressions everywhere. On, of alcoholics who came to AA and circle really tried. There's a strenuous nature, really tried. 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses. Among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. Other thousands came to a few AA meetings and at first decided they didn't want the program. But great numbers of these, about two out of three, began to return as time passed. But I have listened in the, you know, in between those two paragraphs is, Sometimes we need to have our ass kicked, you know, like anybody who's been dry, like we don't need to drink to have our ass kicked. Show me a good dry period. And what I've had them, some really significant, you know, my ass got kicked. And at the top of the page, in terms of like these directions, like that this works because it's a set of directions. I had a sponsor that says, if there's 13 ingredients in a cake, but I only use three, it won't work. In addition, I can use all three, all 13, sorry, I can use all 13, I've got all the ingredients, but I don't follow the instructions. I don't, you know, preheat the oven. I don't use, you know, keep the dry and the wet separately. I don't put them in at the same time. I don't either mix them enough or over mix them. I don't put them in the right pan that's maybe been greased or what. It's not going to work out. <laughs> so I have to have all the right ingredients and I have to follow the instructions. And I'm just going to tell you for this alcoholic, following instructions, <laughs> it's like, I'd rather have a finger cut off. I swear to God. I mean, it's so painful, so existentially painful to follow instructions. 
So that's just my truth. And I hope to God you're not like me, but that's me. Um, so back to the, the literature, to the next paragraph I have underlined and I have written in two. Another reason for the, and then just that underlined, for the wide acceptance of AA was underlined the ministration of friends. And then friends in underlined medicine, religion, and the press. And medicine, of course, includes psychiatric. And so, you know, I think it got talked about in a meeting I was at recently, like AA would not be here without non-alcoholics who really supported our process, gave us, you know, money, gave us their time, opened up their homes to us. I mean, this is all in the literature. And so, you know, that's why our service doesn't end in the rooms of AA. It has to be out in the community. You know, in my opinion, that's just, you know, maybe that's an outside opinion, but I just really feel that, you know, the time I spend in me meetings is relatively, you know, limited, but there's a lot of, you know, I'm out there in the world. Together with innumerable others who became our able and persistent advocates. Without such support, AA could have made only the slowest progress. Some of the recommendations of AA's early medical and religious friends will be found further on in this book. And then I have underlined, and, this, uh, and I have an asterisk. There's certain, you know, like this is important for me, according to my sponsor. Alcoholics Anonymous is not, and I have circled not, a religious organization. That's been such a big problem for some people, right? Neither does AA take any particular medical point of view, though we cooperate widely with the men of medicine as well as the men of religion. Uh, alcohol being no respecter of persons, we are an accurate cross-section of America and distant lands by the same evening up process is now going on. By personal religious affiliation, we include Catholics, Protestants, Jews, Hindus, and a strictly of Muslims and Buddhists. More than 15% of us are women. At present, our membership is pyramiding at the rate of about 20% a year so far upon the total problem of several million actual and potential alcoholics in the world we have, and I've underlined, made only a scratch. In all probability, we shall never be able to touch more than a fair fraction of the alcohol problem in all its ramification. And then an important sentence, upon therapy for the alcoholic himself, I have this underlined, we surely have no monopoly. And then I have bracketed from that sentence, from before that sentence to the end, and that's an asterisk, and this is the number three. So we did one at the top of XX, we did two, another reason. So here's another three, these are the reasons. Yet it is our great, and I have circled hope, because it's a program of hope, that all those who have as yet found no answer may begin to find one in the pages of this book and will presently join us on the high road to a new freedom. So, you know, um, Basically, we have, you know, both the fellow, I have written in the fellowship is important. We join fellows, we have roundups, we have meetings, but two, we have a program, which is something we have to do. You know, when I, you know, my sponsees will thank me and, you know, when they make significant, you know, for helping along, whatever, but when they hit a milestone or they've accomplished something, I always say, this is your program. This is your program. You're working, you're, you know, it's your actions. I mean, I can guide whatever, you know, based on how people have guided me. But, you know, it's a really, you know, like we live in a society that, you know, you pay for this, you get that. You show up, you get something. You know, like you get your CEUs, you get something. And in this program, showing up is not enough. At least that's my experience. So back to you, Amanda. 
All right. So as we move on to the forward to the third and uh, fourth editions, um, Amanda. Oh, Amanda, wait. Um, can you make it short? Yeah. If I, I actually can just. I, I'm. We can wrap it up in in terms of um, really. If we really simplify with the the forward to the third and fourth editions, um, the the basic idea with that is. Um, is the 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 continued growth of Alcoholics Anonymous. So um, we're just getting more information about uh, how the program is working, how how um, it's holding good for the individuals, um, how it's working well for all kinds of different people, um, and how its um, recoveries is being being brought um, throughout the world. Uh, so, uh, you know, basically this whole, um, the whole section that we are talking about today from the um, title through all of the forwards are all about the history of, of AA, um, like learning about it, learning about what worked, what didn't, when things happened, um, um, and then not uh, uh, not forgetting, right? And remembering that it's all captured, like it's it's all here in the book, and we have this, you know, this as a as a tool. This is this is our tool to go back to. Um, so I know we're getting uh, close on time, so we can we can wrap it up there. So thank you. Good morning, I'm Barbara. I'm an alcoholic. I'm Amy. I'm an alcoholic. Amy. Today we're going to start with the preface and all of the forewords. Actually, what we're going to do is start on the title page. The second sheet of paper in the book is the title page. It says Alcoholics Anonymous, the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. That right there is the first promise in the book, recovered being in past tense, not being in present tense. We're not still recovering. Today, today, I'm recovered from alcoholism. I'm recovered from the seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. This book teaches a way that alcoholics can stay happy and sober by a knowledge of three things, and we're going to refer back to these three things through the forward and preface. One is the problem. That is what alcoholism is. It's an allergy of the body and an, and an obsession of the mind. Two is the solution. We must find a higher power, and we can find a higher power via a spiritual awakening. And three is a practical program of action, the 12 steps to get number two to occur. I'm going to pass it off to Barb for starting with the preface. So in the preface, the main thing I picked up out of the preface for, for what we're talking about is that um, this book has become the basic text um, for, for our um, organization, and um, um, it has helped large numbers of alcoholic men and women to recover. And um, what this is telling me is that if I read and follow the instructions in this basic text, I will recover, no question about it. Um, and then, in the forward to the first edition, it's Roman numeral 13 in, in my book, um, <laughs> we, we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Um, you know, when I first read that, I don't think I understood what, what they were talking about. 
but I lived in that, it was not seemingly, I lived in a hopeless state of mind and body for a good 10 years before I got desperate enough to, to come up here. I, I lived in, in a place where I would wake up every morning and scream at the ceiling, why am I here? Um, I had no reason to be alive that I could see. And then I would just start popping pills and um, uh, head off to work and, and do my thing and come home and drink myself to bed, pop a couple benzos, go to sleep. And and every day, every day for about 10 years, this was how I lived. And I thought I was fine. If you had asked me during that time, Barb, how you doing? It would be, I'm fine. I'm fine. How are you? However... It was a hopeless state of mind and body. I did not like me. I did not like my life. Um, and this book and the program in this book has totally removed that. The difference between then and now, it's not the difference between night and day. It's the difference between death and life. And there is no question about it in my life. So precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. And again, all we have to do is follow the instructions as they are in the book. And I'll pass it back to Amy. Awesome. Thanks, Barb. Um, I like that also, precisely how we have recovered. It is obviously Alcoholics Anonymous is, um, helps people to not drink, but what it has really helped me with, the not drinking part is kind of a side effect of what the program has done for my life. It helps me with the way I think. I spent... Um, I spent a good chunk of time sober between not using and starting a program. And in that period of time, I saw how my thinking causes a lot of problems. I, I think things are bad. I react as though they're bad. And then I literally make them bad. And today, I don't do that to the extent that I used to. And I definitely don't do it to the extent that drinking seems like a really good solution. And this program, it... It's weird because the not drinking is an effect, but it isn't the main effect for me. It's kind of a side effect of straightening out my thinking. Oh. So yeah, going on uh, Roman numeral 13 on Roman numeral 14, the second page to the forward of the first edition, at the top is kind of an interesting tidbit. The only requirement for membership is an honest desire to stop drinking. And what is cool about that is on page 24 in There's a Solution at the top of the page is a sentence that says, at a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. So it's kind of interesting that there's more needed to work this program than just being a member. The only requirement for membership is not enough to help keep us sober. Just being a member isn't enough to get number two of the three things that we mentioned at the beginning of this recording the solution. We actually have to work the steps. So Barb's going to start talking about kind of the history as seen in the forward of the second edition on Roman numeral 15. Uh, so um, we'll go back a little bit. In, in the early 30s, um, and they, they talk about, um, in, in the early 30s, a, a fellow named Roland Hazard, um, who was just a terrible, terrible alcoholic. But even even before that, and before the before the, the Great War, as they called it, 
um, there was a, there was a group gathering up in Manchester, Vermont, and that included the Thatcher family and the Hazard family, and uh, Wilson, and there was a young woman from uh, the Bronx um, named Lois, whose family um, summered up there. So some of these people they knew each other when they were they were kind of growing up, you know. And um, anyway. It, it, the, the war happened, and, and uh, um, everybody got older. Um, Bill married Lois, but um, <laughs> Roland Hazard had a, a, a fierce alcohol problem, and um, he stood to um, inherit millions from the family, and um, the family was, was doing everything they could to get him fixed, and nothing in this country worked, so they sent him over to Switzerland um, to work with um, uh, Dr. Young. And um, Dr. Jung treated Roland for about a year and then sent him on his way. And um, Roland got as far as Paris, and somebody asked Roland the wrong question, which was, do you want a drink? So Roland was rolling around in, in the Paris mud for about three days. Um, and his friends got him back to Dr. Jung. He thought he's going to try Jung again. So he'll go back and, and get that help again. And he got to Jung, and, and Jung said, there is nothing I can do. There's absolutely nothing I can do. Um, and and what what Roland has at this point is it's a combination. And, and on page 60 in the ABCs, those, those three things we need. Um, so A is we're alcoholic and we can't manage our lives. Roland went back to Jung, I think, I believe, in that state. And what Jung told Roland essentially was B, no human power is going to relieve our alcoholism. Um, what Jung gave to Roland was the absolute desperation that he needed. Because when he finally said, Doctor, are you sure there's no way? And Jung said, well, you know, I've seen some people um, recover after um, some kind of a religious or spiritual experience. And prior to this time, Roland wasn't interested in a spiritual experience. I mean, I know before I came up here, I sure wasn't interested in kind of a spiritual experience, you know, um, you know, unless it came from the drugs. But um, um, so Roland went back to the States and he got hooked up with the Oxford group. Um, and then later, when Ebby um, um, was um, shooting pigeons out in Manchester, the family had sent him back to Vermont to get him out of their way. And um, he, he uh, was mad because the pigeons were um, uh, crapping on his paint job. And he set a chair outside and started shooting them. And um, by that time, people in town were pretty well fed up with that. We took it before a judge. He had one call to make. He called Roland. Roland came, bailed Abby out, said, you know, leave him with us. And they took Roland to the Oxford group, and Roland got it. Roland came down to New York, and he got it. And he was doing some uh, outreach work in New York, and he remembered Bill Wilson. <clears throat> so Abby took the message to Bill. And um, that's, that's, later in, that's later in the story. Um, um, before Bill goes to Akron in May of 35, um, in Akron itself, there is an Oxford group already. Um, and what happened there was a guy named um, uh, Jim Newton was hired on by Harvey Firestone to be a, an executive assistant. And, and Newton knew about the Oxford group. <laughs> um, uh, Firestone had a son who was a fierce alcoholic, um, Newton took the son on a, a business trip, took him to the Oxford group. The son was cured. So um, Firestone's like, well, we got to have Oxford group in Akron. So they got Oxford group in Akron. And um, Bob was uh, dragged to the Oxford group in Akron. Bob had a uh, 
had an alcohol problem that he thought nobody knew about. And um, in, in, uh, right around May of, of 35 <clears throat> was the first time Bob was at the Oxford group, and he confessed to that group that he had an alcoholic problem. And so the practice of the group was to pray for a month when somebody, some member confessed some problem they had. So the whole group was praying for Bob in May of 35. And then a call comes in from the Mayflower Hotel. Um, Bill calls Henrietta Cyberlane, who lives in the coach house of the Firestones. She's the daughter-in-law. And, um, and of course, what she says when Bill calls is, I've been expecting your call. <laughs> and I just I get goosebumps when I think of that, you know, that, that, yeah, they were praying, so they expected a miracle to happen, and crazy, it did. Um, and, and that started AA when um, Bill met Bob at that, um, at the, at Henrietta's coach house in Akron. And the rest, as they say, is here. Um, what Bill gave Bob, you know, um, uh, Bill, Bill had been talking to um, Silkworth, about how he's working with all these drunks and nothing's working. <clears throat> and um, he had been dragging drunks out of the bars in New York and, and filling them full of his white light spiritual experience. And they weren't interested, you know. They're like, yeah, I mean, I get I get that when I drink rum, Bill. And um, and, and so Silkworth told Bill, you need to talk to him about your experience. And so what happened with Bob, Bob didn't want to go see Bill. He didn't want to go see some stockbroker from New York at a cure for alcoholism. You know, I, I wouldn't either. <laughs> so so, so the, they dragged him. They dragged him over to Henrietta's. He was going to talk to Bill for 15 minutes, and they ended up meeting for five hours. And what Bill did for Bob, because Bob already had the spiritual solution. Bob had the Oxford group. He just couldn't stop drinking. He couldn't. He didn't know what that was all about and it turns out it's a disease Silkworth had given Bill the knowledge that alcoholism is a disease like you said it's a disease of the mind and of the body and uh, with that Bob was able to quit yeah, we give it back to Amy here awesome <clears throat> it is amazing how um, many different people were involved in Bill getting all of the knowledge for this program to become a thing as Barb said, he got number one from Silkworth. He got that alcoholics suffer from two things, a physical allergy. Once alcohol enters the body, we have an allergy and we can't stop drinking. I think about when I was drinking, there was never enough. Like if I, if I threw up, that wasn't enough. That just made more room. If I ran out, that wasn't enough. I'd go roaming the town looking for more, breaking into frat houses, whatever it took. Um, and we have an obsession of the mind. We can't not drink again. If I had been able to form a coherent enough thought of, hey, this is kind of causing me a problem. Failing out of college is kind of a problem. Getting kicked out of the sorority that I'm in is kind of a problem. Crashing my car, getting arrested, going to jail, being forced into treatment is kind of a problem. Um, that would have been enough for me to stop drinking. But it wasn't because we can't not drink again. In addition to the physical allergy, we have an obsession of the mind. Silkworth gave that info to Bill. Number two came from Ebby. <clears throat> Ebby said, people like you and me have to have a higher power. We can get this via a spiritual awakening, but we need a way to get that. That's what Barb was saying um, Bob had. Bob was a member of the Oxford group. He got he needed a spiritual awakening, but he didn't have number one. He didn't know exactly what the problem was, and he didn't have number three. He didn't know how to get the spiritual awakening, like what way works. 
what the Oxford group was had were, were six tenants. These became the 12 steps. On page 59 in the big book, in how it works, that is where the steps are listed. Um, the tenants, you can see how the steps came from the tenants of the Oxford group. The tenants went like this, complete deflation, which is kind of like step one, dependence on God, kind of like our step three, moral inventory is straight up our step four, confession is our step five, restitution is our step nine, and continued work with others in need is our step 12. So you could see the ones that ended up getting added to that. Abby was actively doing continued work with others in need. The sixth tenant of the Oxford group, our 12th step, when he met with Bill and ended up giving Bill the final piece to be able to start getting sober. Um, on page 27 in the... Nope, on page 29, 19? Page 19 in the Roman numeral for to the second edition. Um, oh, this is the start of the traditions on page 19, which is kind of cool. You can see the first thoughts that Bill was having that ended up becoming our traditions. The steps are the principles by which the individual alcoholic could live. They're the things that we do in our own lives to be able to have a spiritual awakening. But to keep AA together, we needed to develop principles by which the AA groups and AA as a whole could survive and function effectively. And Barb is going to walk through the traditions on these pages. Um, thanks, Amy. Just a minute on the uh, <clears throat> on the steps. I, w I was watching a, um, a Bill W. documentary, and he was talking about writing Chapter 5. And um, everybody up until um, he wrote Chapter 5, they published the book and started practicing 12 steps had been doing the, the six tenets of the Oxford group. And, and what he was saying in the documentary was that he had to figure out a way that those drunks could wiggle out of the program. <laughs> so that's why, that's why we ended up with 12 instead of six. <laughs> um, so on, on, again, on page Roman numeral 19, RXIX, um, uh, we had to unify our fellowship or pass off the scene, and that, that's tradition one. Our, our uh, common welfare has to come first. Personal recovery depends on AA unity. Um, <laughs> tradition um, two, which is uh, for a group purpose, there is one ultimate authority. Um, it's a couple sentences down. It was thought no alcoholic man or woman could be excluded. Our leaders might serve but never govern. Each group has to be autonomous. Um, and it's, uh, it's also tradition um, three, anybody can join. Anybody who wants to stop drinking can join. Nobody asks you if you're sure you want to stop drinking. There's no membership card. There are no membership fees. Anybody can walk into this room and, and start talking with a fellow alcoholic. On the um, uh, tradition for each, each group has to be autonomous. Um, and that says that right there. Um, this, this also that there's to be... Um, no professional class of therapy. Um, this saved my life. This really saved my life. I had been a therapist for years. I lined their pockets big time. And, 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 and I spent a lot of money going to treatment. And, and it was my money. I cashed in the 401k. Uh, I didn't, didn't come under insurance then. <laughs> and, um, and as long as I was paying these people, 
I didn't have to pay any attention to what they said because I was the one who had the power. As long as I had the bucks, I had the power, right? I get out of treatment. I move into a sober house. I start working with a sponsor, and I'm trying to figure, what's her angle? (laughs) What's going on here? Why is she spending this time? Why is she doing this? And and for the first time, one-on-one with a fellow human being, to be able to share that that desperation that I had, that desperation that drove me up here, that that hopeless condition of mind and body, to be able to share that with a fellow human being, was the opening that let me begin my real process of recovery. So, so that's a pretty important one. No professional class of therapy in AA. I mean, it's not that you know you can you can do it anywhere else. Um, Let's see what else I got there. No fees or dues. Um, expenses were to be met by your own voluntary contribution. Again, that's part of the non-professional. Tradition seven. Seven? Thanks. It is there. Um, the least possible organization, even in our service centers, which is nine. Public relations based on... Um, attraction rather than promotion. We want people to see what they want in us. We, we don't need to go out on the corner and, and beat the drum. Um, 11. 11. That was 11. All right. And um, anonymous is, is 12. Still 11. Is it? I thought anonymity is a spiritual foundation. It's 12, but it's also 11 with the oh, press radio public relations, films. right. Yeah, Kind okay. of a combo, because 12 isn't mentioned otherwise. Right. Um, in no circumstances should we give endorsements, make alliances, or enter into any other public uh, controversies. And that's at, um, and that's 10. And that's where, that's where we're next. I was in, I was in uh, the intergroup office the other day, and somebody, somebody called in, and um, the kid who was answering the phone was recommending where they should take that person for treatment so when he was done with the call I said you know we don't really do that as an AA office we don't recommend treatment centers for people and um, and, and that's because like I said in, in my story anyway um, if I knew that AA was associated with a treatment center I would figure that I was paying them and, and so I wouldn't have to listen to them hmm. and that was what I had on the traditions back to you awesome so on the next page page 20 in the Roman numerals for to the second edition, there's some statistics which are kind of interesting. It says, of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. So if you think about when this book was written, there weren't, there weren't sponsors, there weren't meetings, there wasn't even a program. This was the beginning of the program. Um, these statistics are, are were written when people who came to AA were low bottom drunks. It was like you were you were desperate as hell at this moment in time to come to a meeting. That's what the statistics were. So when people are low bottom, ready to die, there is no other solution. There's no wiggle room. There's no other way. Fifty percent got sober at once. The statistics aren't quite the same today, from what I understand. Which makes sense because now we have, um, I mean, I see commercials for treatment programs I, on television. Um, what got me into treatment wasn't that I was about to die. Technically, what got me into treatment was that I crashed my car for the first time I was caught drinking and driving. 
not the first time I drank drove, just the first time that <laughs> my car stopped moving and I was forced to sit on the side of the road until a police officer pulled up. The statistics now are different because people aren't low-bottom drunks. This program is really not appealing in a lot of ways if there's another way out. If there's not another way out, or at the moment I decided, holy shit, this is really um, too uncomfortable to continue to live this way in my head. My life wasn't actually technically entirely falling apart at the moment that I decided I was going to actually give this program a whirl. I was just so uncomfortable on the inside that it seemed that the drastic steps required, the, the drastic steps of the book were better, seemed more appealing than just my everyday thinking in my head. Um, moving on to the third and fourth edition, uh, just kind of goes over the difference. <laughs> I'm not actually sure what they talk about. Let me read them really fast. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think all we learned was that one alcoholic sharing experience, strength, and hope with another. Uh, yes, that's that's our mission. Yeah, that is. It's what you talked about when you said that even getting therapy, everything beforehand. If you could see someone else's angle, then things become less palatable in some way. I think about when I was going to therapy, I didn't. I didn't talk to my therapist about things that were actually going on. Remember, when I was first put in treatment, it wasn't related to AA at all. Trying to do a fourth step, a fifth step, like, no, that that was not happening because this treatment center was being, um, it was part of my probation. <laughs> I had to pass treatment. Then when I came to AA and met actually met with a sponsor for the first time, met a person who I was like, all right, you want to be my sponsor. I heard that you should um, ask someone to be your sponsor if they have what you want. And she literally had a cookie. I like cookies. <laughs> that was my that was my threshold. I asked her to be my sponsor and then meeting with her and trying to figure out what is her angle? Like, what is she like a teacher? Is she like a parent? Is she like a police officer? What is the hoop that I need to jump through? But she wasn't any of those things. She didn't care if I stayed sober. She just cared if she stayed sober. And that was the big deal to me. Each day at the bottom of 22 in the Roman numerals, bottom of the fourth to thir third edition, each day somewhere in the world, recovery begins when one alcoholic talks with another alcoholic, sharing experience, strength, and hope. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.